Welcome to the iMatter Podcast, future-proof your business, career, teams, and organization. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira. Welcome to the iMatter Podcast. I'm always interested in experimenting with new ways to communicate and collaborate, especially online, because this is so important for success in the future, and especially because we now have so many more opportunities to connect with more people around the world, opportunities that we really didn't have until very recently. So we've got to take advantage of them. So in this episode, I'm sharing with you the audio recording of a blab. Now, if you're not familiar with Blabs, it's a fairly new video conferencing tool that sits on top of Twitter. So you can have up to four people speaking in the video conference, and you can have an unlimited number of people watching, asking questions, and making comments in a chat room. So if you want an analogy in the physical world, it's like a four-personal panel discussion sitting up there on stage with audience interaction. Now, I recently hosted a Blab called Fit for the Future, and I invited three of my professional speaker colleagues who also speak about leadership in the future to share their ideas about what leaders need to do right now to become fit for the future. So listen in, and you'll learn about diversity, neuroscience, change management, self-leadership, and even leaders without followers. Hello, everyone. This is Gihan Pereira here. Welcome to the Fit for the Future Blab. And I've got with me Alicia Curtis, Ian Berry, Jenny Brockis, and all of you who are here on the Blab Live. Um, so today is going to be about uh, looking ahead. It's about thinking ahead, being fit for the future. So I'm going to ask each of the panelists to briefly introduce themselves. And we're just going to share some ideas that uh, that might help us as individuals, help leaders and their organizations become uh, fit for the future. And it's the ideas that we're going to share are going to be relevant all the time. So um, maybe I'll go around the room and uh, ask uh, each of our panelists to share one idea and that might spark the conversation. So I'll start with Alicia. I'm going to go clockwise on my screen. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I am really looking forward to this discussion because I'm sure there'll be a lot of synergies between our ideas as well, and we can build on each other's ideas. I run a a leadership development company called Elysium and have done for the last 14 years, mainly around getting younger people or young professionals to see the opportunity for purposeful leadership. So how can we utilise our leadership for other ways than just uh, profits and and our jobs? How can we um, benefit the community as a whole? So I suppose one of the ideas that I wanted to kick off today, which really came from an experience of uh, attending an international conference last year in Bhutan, uh, going to the Gross National Happiness Centre and doing their business transformation program, which again looked at this theme of how can we utilise our entrepreneurial uh, abilities and goals in ways that... um, hopefully influence the community for as a whole or contribute to the greater good. And one of the things that I learned there was around aligning our intention, allow, uh, aligning our attention with our intentions. So when you think of the world that we live in, we're constantly distracted by lots of things around us, um, our emails, our phones, um, what we've got to do next week, what we're going to cook for dinner, our willpower in the programs that I lead, my leadership programs, a lot of my younger professionals in particular tell me that they have a real difficulty with keeping their willpower strong to keep their attention focused. 
And when you think about, you know, our, giving our, our minds a rest, giving our minds the ability to actually focus in on deep work and actually concentrate for longer periods of time so we can do, um, we can do, think at a deeper level, um, our ability to align our attention with the intentions that we as leaders um, need to focus on is really important. So I'll leave it there and we'll keep going around and maybe we can come back to that. Okay, actually, I might just bring in Ian at this stage because uh, Ian, I just read uh, one of your newsletters which had a video in it today and you were talking about values and I'd love you. I think it's related to what Lisa is talking about. So would you like to share or add to that? Yes, uh, I think, I mean, I'm I'm celebrating in uh, two days' time. It'll be the 25th um, anniversary of uh, working with business owners and leaders in my role as a business mentor. And... I was actually reflecting on, well, how do you celebrate so long? And one of the things that that came to me is um, a little model that I have shared with my clients over many years is that we need alignment between our employees feeling valued, our employees living our values, and those two combined are what leads to delivering greater value. And that would be my, my, my sort of one of my tips for being fit for the future is how are you helping your employees to feel valued? How are you making it simple for your employees to live your values? And how is the whole value delivery chain working within your business internally, but also to your external customers or clients? And, and if I can add to that, Ian, because uh, I talk to organizations a lot about the future, and many of them say to me, what's, what's coming up in the future? And I say, well, you know what? I don't really know, but... There are some people who do know, and they're your customers and your team members, and maybe they're junior team members, maybe they're people who've been there for a long time and you think they're in a particular role, but they've got other skills. Maybe it's somebody who you've just recruited, but they've got this huge YouTube or Instagram following, and they know social media. And one of the ideas that uh, I really think is crucial um, in terms of being prepared for the future is to tap into all the value that you've got within your organization, um, not just based on their roles, not just based on their job description or how long they've been in the job or um, whether they've got gray hair or not or the corner office. That's not relevant. Everyone's got skills and talents and you're probably not accessing all areas of everyone in your team. No, I, look, I believe that, and the evidence is clear, you know, there's about 100 billion people have walked planet Earth and as far as I know, there's never been a duplicate. And so that's, that suggests to me that each one of us is a unique, one-of-a-kind human being and inherent in that is value we bring. And I think the exchange of value is what is what not just what life's all about, it's what businesses, you know, it, you know is all about as well. And it, it's helping people to tap into that inherent value that we're, that we're born with. You know, the miracle of life in itself, you know, as I understand it, you know, us, us blokes, we, we produce about 500 billion sperm cells in our, in our lifetime, and yet women folk produce less than 500 eggs. So the, the chances of one meeting the other is so incredible that, it, that life itself is a miracle. And so, so being born at all is a miracle. It's then a matter of how do we tap into that uniqueness that, that is, is inside each and every one of us. Dr. Jenny Brockis, expert on brain fitness and our future brain. Would you like to jump into the conversation? So maybe uh, either add to what we've talked about or maybe you've got another idea you'd like to share. Well, thanks, Gihan. I think um, what, what's just come out just now, I mean, there's all sorts of 
things that I could sort of add to that. But the, talking about our, our uniqueness, I mean, is exactly right. You know, there are no two brains on the planet that are the same. Even if you're an identical twin, you're not the same. And I think it's our unique differentiator which allows us to um, add so much more if we're allowed to provide that individual take. And I think it's that diversity of thought which is going to be increasingly important in our future. I think also um, you mentioned about sort of the fact that, you know, if you're the leader of an organisation, it's about how to maximise the, the mental capital of your existing employees. How do you get the best out of people? Because I think when it comes to leading others, most of us actually want to do our very best, but it's about being provided the right framework in order to be able to do that and achieve that. And I think it all comes down to starting being in a place of safety. So as leaders, I think we have to allow people to feel safe first and then put in place the framework that will allow people to express their individuality or their diversity of thinking so that we can all sort of contribute more to how an organisation may be developing for you know, future growth and prosperity. Alicia, I saw you nodding your head vigorously when Jenny said safety. Well, I think it's also just uh, what I wanted to pick up on is the diversity element of this. I think diversity and inclusion is going to be top on the leadership agendas of many different companies and community organisations this year. We're realising that the diversity of thought and perspective around our boardrooms and our meetings are integral to be able to um, uh, have the complex problem solving that we'll need uh, for the challenges of business over the next 10 years. And, and diversity can be so easily boxed up in, well, how many women do we have around the room? Or do we have anybody from, you know, a different cultural or religious sort of background? But it's actually much more than that. It's about how do we actually include people, you know, a diversity of education, experience, uh, communication styles, um, even sort of community um, involvement, language, birthplace, all of these sorts of things, families, uh, all of these things give up, gives us a deeper awareness and a deeper compassion uh, and a deeper involvement in other people's lives and perspectives, which we can actually bring into problem-solving um, conversations. So I think, you know, you were mentioning, Gihan, about, you know, talking to people, uh, talking to your younger professionals in your workplaces and seeing what, what do they see as some of the, you know, the biggest issues facing, you know, the company or the industry that you're in. And one of the things that I love to recommend is to, you know, find an intergenerational mentoring relationship. So somebody from a different generation who you can really... Um, uh, find value, that shared value, that shared conversation and challenge each other's assumptions, thoughts, perspectives, um, share each other's um, strengths and skill sets uh, and and see what, what you can do, create together because it's that richness then uh, I think that's going to help us, yeah, solve the, the business challenges that we're going to face. Yeah, actually, as you're saying that earlier, one of my mentors is my partner, Nikki's 14-year-old son, Josh, because he, he loves technology and uh, sometimes he overuses it 
as many 14-year-old boys do. But I love it because I can talk to him about what he's doing with FIFA World Cup. And, you know, back in the days when I was playing computer games, it was like Pong. And that kind of shows my age. So, Lisa, you shouldn't be nodding because you have no idea what Pong is. But I think the rest of us do. It's just amazing to see what technology is available now. And I think as experts, as we all are, and as experienced people and as leaders, we sometimes have the, having that expertise means that we're blinded by what, what opportunities are available. Uh, if you like, we've got the sunk costs and we've got the legacy of what we already know and we forget about what's already out there. And I say to leaders all the time, just think about if you were a startup company coming to compete and take over your business, what would you do? And then do that as if you were a startup company. Um, if you were to replace your board with a whole new board, what would they do differently? And then do that without having to replace the board. Um, and I reckon that that diversity and that that new fresh thinking is critical. Yeah, we, we say to, um, you know, people who come in new into our organisations, just sit back, take it all in, you know, learn the culture of our organisation. And instead, you should be going, okay, what's your reflections? What are you observing? What's new and different? What are we doing that maybe could be done better? Those fresh eyes are such a, you know, a, that, that mental capacity that we've got to tap into. And how can we do that all the time? How can we bring in um, leaders? under the age of 35, 30 years old, 25 years old, 14-year-olds. How can we bring them into our organisations and say, what are you observing here? What, what um, seems strange to you? I think uh, the more that we do that, uh, bring in and feel comfortable that that diversity brings in a permission to think differently in our organisations um, is uh, so, so it can be so important to us. So actually, Lisa, can I turn the question back on you? Because uh, I know you're kind of asking it rhetorically and asking us to think about how can we do it. In your experience, because I know that you've worked with young people, you've worked with uh, different multicultural groups, you've worked with boards on aged care organisations. How do you do that in a practical term if you're a leader within an organisation or you're a business owner or senior manager? um, what, What would you recommend people do? Well, firstly, I think it's about having a personal commitment to diversity. And for us uh, as leaders, we've got to look at our own commitment to diversity. Are we willing to be champions of change in this area? And what actually drives our own personal commitment to diversity? Um, I think one of the things I love getting leaders to do is actually think about their leadership philosophy. What type of leader do you want to be? And how do you put that into action? So this is a part of it, thinking about what are your thoughts and perspectives on on, uh, diversity. And, you know, some of it is, you know, deeply values driven. We know from the research that diversity around the boardroom is going to lead to business, better business results. But it's actually that's not actually what drives us as leaders to do something differently, to behave in a different way. It's actually driven by our own personal commitment, our own personal values to diversity. So thinking about what that is for you, it might be a commitment to um, fairness. It might be a commitment to bravery, to standing up and, and being courageous. But if people, if leaders can connect that at a more personal and values-driven level, um, 
we know that the business, you know, statistics support this, but if we can connect into that deeper level, uh, that's a good first step for for a leader. And then there are other, um, you know, uh, strategies. I, you know, maybe Jenny and Ian can share their experiences on this. Intergenerational um, mentoring is another one. Having those conversations, um, learning cultural competence, learning about different cultures, um, learning. Uh, about the different worldviews and being able to have conversations with people that hold different views to us and being happy to have those conversations where there's a little bit of uncertainty um, because there's going to be more and more of those types of conversations around the boardrooms where businesses don't quite know where their industry is going and us being comfortable leading with uncertainty is going to help us in that uh, diversity conversation because it's about trying to stretch and challenge our thinking rather than us all having the same thinking around the table. I, I think there are, two, there are two questions that I think are key to conversations. And one of the things that I help my clients with is to have weekly check-in conversations. And there are, there are two questions on the, on the agenda at the start of the conversation. And, and the first one is, what's worth celebrating? And the second one is, what can be better? And then there's an encouragement to, to help people everywhere to notice, you know, what's worth celebrating, to show appreciation when we see people doing stuff that's worth celebrating, and, and, and then having accountability conversations when we, when we see something that could be better, we can have accountability conversations. So the, I think com- the, the key, I think, is, converse, is conversation, and, and that by definition is a two-way, is a two-way street. And Jen, I know that in your book about the future brain, you talk a lot in the the last third of the book, I think, or the last quarter about leadership and leading organizations and leading teams. What's your take on this? I think it it all starts with sort of understanding yourself first so you can then understand other people better. And I think it all boils down to the fact that we're always in the business of a relationship, whoever we're talking to, whoever we're dealing with, we're we're dealing with a relationship with another human being. And I think if we remember that, it makes it much easier to humanise all our conversations and allow ourselves um, as a leader to to show that sort of softer side, if you like, or to show that we are sometimes vulnerable, sometimes we're fallible, and not to be um, fearful of that, um, and obviously not to sort of highlight it as a sort of glowing testimonial to our ability, but just to sort of acknowledge that, you know, we're human like everybody else. We make mistakes, but we can also be accountable to acknowledging when things go wrong and stepping up to putting into place those things that will enable us to, to maybe learn from the experience and help ourselves and others to move forward. I think it's always about sort of being visible and accessible and uh, I was, I was, I spent a lot of the weekend watching tennis. <laughs> I don't know if you did as well. Um, but there was one comment that uh, Serena Williams made in her gracious acceptance of defeat, um, which was the comment she said, "I am not a robot." And because we tend to see her as being a champion, a leader of of the tennis world, and people sort of make comment of that. Oh, she's she's like a machine. She's big and she just sort of powers through and always succeeds. But of course, she's not. She's a human being, and you know sometimes she'll have an off day and, and not perform to the very you know her very best. But of course, underlying that or underpinning it is that you know 
be through her your relationship with her or with anybody else that underlying all that her intention is always to try and do her best and that she will always be there to support you not if you're her opponent but you know if, you, if you're the leader of an organization it's about nurturing and supporting other people so that they feel safe go back to the safety aspect again and just having that accessibility because if we are accessible as leaders people then feel okay to have those those conversations and and sort of add in there to Kenneth Worth without feeling judged or or belittled or being made to make small. They're sort of seen as valued co-contributors. Jenny, I reckon you've hit on what I think is the absolute key to being fit for the future, and that's to be a better human. What what, what I'm seeing what I'm seeing. Um, at more than any other time in my 25 years of working with business leaders, I'm seeing a great rehumanization of the workplace. Because the facts are we've dehumanized the workplace. And what I'm seeing, and it excites me in, in the deepest parts of my, my being, that, that there's a great revolution going on that's rehumanizing the workplace. And, and, and Alicia, I think what you're talking about with diversity and celebrating diversity and and really welcoming diversity and encouraging diversity is all is all part of this great rehumanization of the of the workplace and from what i see the the best leaders are those who are comfortable being human and are really focused on what i think is the number one leadership skill which is self awareness and the, and the more we're self aware of course the greater we can we can work on the number two skill which is awareness of others um, and, and so I think you really hit on it, uh, Jenny, and there's some great work out there by uh, uh, Brené Brown on vulnerability, which is, you know, one of one of the key parts of, of being human. So I, I think to be fit for the future now is all about being human and it's about then embracing technology that enhances the human experience rather than technology as the bill and end all. Yep, great. Thanks, Ian. I think we'd all agree with that. Um, I'd just like to switch focus for a while and ask my fellow panel members, uh, actively out there talking about leadership uh, with organizations, uh, either speaking or training or consulting or mentoring. And we've talked about a lot of solutions and possible solutions for leaders. Um, I'm just wondering if the uh, panel members would like to share, what are leaders asking us for? What are the problems that they want solved? What are their biggest concerns? What's keeping them up at night? One thing for me is that uh, most of the people that I speak with, um, people who book me to speak at conferences, they say, we don't know what's coming up. We know we should, but we don't. So can you please tell us uh, what's over the horizon? And they realize the horizon is very close. It's not what's coming up in the next 12 months. It's what's, what's coming up in the next three months. And so that's their biggest concern. They, they want to know what's just around the corner. Anyone else? What are, what are people telling, what are people telling us? So like in um, small businesses, in large organizations, within teams, business owners, entrepreneurs, what's coming up? Uh, what, 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 what do people want to know? I think for me, it's um, it's about leading change. You know, how do they lead change? Um, they're realising that sometimes the lessons of the past is actually not helping them solve the problems of the future. So they actually have to think of new ways to disrupt old thinking. And so um, talking about 
uh, newer leadership uh, frameworks and technologies that we can utilize to take in that vulnerability and actually use different tools to actually solve uh, today's problems is a lot of the facilitation work that I, I, could, I, I do with, with clients. And I agree with that, Alicia. I think that uh, one of the things that people say about Gen Ys is that change is normal. They expect change. If they don't have change, they get bored. And uh, I know it's a sweeping generalization, but I love that idea and I'd love all of us from whatever generation we're part of to take that on board and going, look, change is normal. And if, it's, if we're not changing, then we should be bored. We should be bored. So let's, if we can't, if change isn't happening, let's create some. I was going to add to add my sort of two pennies in saying that that is probably the biggest challenge that I'm asked to, to speak to people about as well. It's how to manage um, or, or lead change effectively within organisations. Um, and while it's recognised that change is good and it's exciting, um, the reality is for many people, um, they create their own sort of mental roadblocks to allow that to happen. So I think for leaders especially, it's really important to understand um, the neuroscience that, of, of change and sort of how the brain sees it and to understand what can be put in place as sort of useful strategies to help people to start to see change in a different light, to not be frightened of it and to start to develop these sort of flexibility of their own thinking processes that allows them to think, okay, instead of sort of putting up the talk to the hand, you know, I don't want all this change, it's too much effort and work and just leave me alone, to, okay, I'm included in this conversation, um, I can see the benefits for everyone and myself, um, I want to be a stakeholder in this, so let's move this forward and, and then sort of develop the continuum because change is never static, as we know, and as, as we're sort of trying to cope with the volume and velocity of change, it's about putting in place those those tools and strategies to help us sort of cope with the sort of keeping up with, with the amount of change that we're, we're uh, learning to deal with every day and, and leading us into our future. I, I hear a lot of people, Jenny, and everyone saying um, that they don't like change, but I actually think that's not true. We like change. We just don't like changing. I'm just going to say, or I think it's Peter Singh who said we, um, we don't resist change. We resist the feeling that someone's trying to change us or words to that effect. And I, I think that's very true. I mean, we, we replace our entire human body um, over and over and over in our, in our lifetime. So change is absolutely normal. Uh, and, and that, I mean, one of the biggest questions that I'm asked is, you know, how do, I, how do I make change or how do I help people to feel that change is normal? Uh, and what come, often comes on the back of that, I think, is, I mean, all of my clients are really hard-working, salt-of-the-earth people. And a big question is, you know, how do, I, how do I do less and yet achieve better results? And what comes on the back of that is, um, you know, how do, I, how do I develop more leaders? Because I think that's, the, that's also a key to being fit for the future. Everyone is a leader. And enabling people to lead is is a key part of I think what all what all of us do. Uh, but there's still a lot of people, particularly of my generation, you know, hanging on to the fact that they've got to be in control. Whereas part of part of change leadership is letting go of the need to control and letting other people lead. 
Yeah, let me read out some of the comments that are coming through from the audience. So Francis Lynch, I think I know this, Francis. Uh, Francis says, I agree with some of the earlier comments. I think the greatest technology to understand is myself and how I relate to other people. The social environment is where we make change. If I can't lead myself, I'll struggle leading others. And I think that's exactly the point you're making, Ian. Um, I must yep. admit that, or I must, I must acknowledge that uh, for a long time I used to think that the number one thing you need to be a leader is that you've got to have followers. And if you don't have followers, how can you be a leader? And it was Alicia who challenged me on that. And she said, no, what about self-leadership? And I go, well, no, that's personal development. But actually self-leadership is where it all starts. And you're absolutely right, Alicia. And you got me on that path to go leadership starts with me being a leader for myself. I actually think that a sign of great leadership is not having any followers. You've got to tell us more about that, Ian. Well, I think this whole idea that I've got to follow somebody else. Now, that doesn't that mean to say we don't have heroes or we don't have people we look up to or we don't have people to admire. I think that's, that's very important. But the most successful organisations that I see are places where everyone's leading. I think it actually comes into this next um, form of leadership, which is we're moving away from hero leadership where there's one person at the front and we're moving into uh, a time of collective leadership. So how can we come together with lots of people and all together lead and organizations that are really thriving in today's society are ones that have really strong organizational democracy so ones that everybody can have their say everybody um is trusted um that um i think it was um lazo Bock in, you know, the senior vice president of Google in his latest book, Work um, Rules, where he says, you know, leaders have got to give more authority, more trust, more say to the teams than they actually feel comfortable with because um, those, those are the times where you actually get that innovation and get that ownership from everybody um, that is working in your, your business to actually stand up and be that leader. But it, it can't happen with that top-down approach. You've got to give your people that trust and actually say, look, you, you're going to make the best decision for this, uh, this business, for this organisation, and you're seeing really innovative um, business philosophies like conscious capitalism and um, strategies like employee um, ownership coming out, which are showing that when we come together um, collectively, it actually can make, um, we can make better decisions than any one person would do um, by themselves. Yeah, look, I think the key is roles. You know, everyone's got roles and, you know, roles are far more important than jobs because the key to roles is relationships. And you, you can look at tasks in manuals, but the key is roles. And so when everyone understands their role, and as I understand it, this is the key to the success of the people following the holocracy, you know, idea uh, and self-led, you know, um, organisations like those described in that great book, uh, Reinventing the Organisations, you know, Frederick Laloux, if I hope I pronounced that right. But I think that's a wonderful idea is that, you know, people don't, don't people don't need to be led. They can lead themselves. And when we're all leading ourselves and we're all going in the same direction and we're aware of our roles, that's, you know, that's where the magic is, isn't it? Um, I feel like a bit of a psychiatrist here when I have to say I'm sorry, but our time is up. <laughs> um, because... 
<laughs> we're just at a very like a fascinating part of the conversation and uh, our time is coming to a close we've got a couple of minutes over but i want to give everyone the chance to um, have their last word and say something uh, uh, say something that they'd like to either repeat something that they've already said or to emphasize it or to share something new and uh, we will continue this conversation in the future uh, fit for the future blab so so let's go around the room alicia well, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think that it would be interesting to con continue to uh, explore some of these new leadership skills that we need to be able to um, be collective in our leadership, to be inclusive in our leadership. I think some of the keys for me uh, with those are things like listening and actually really um, practicing and deepening our listening skills. Also, I think we mentioned it today a little bit around gratitude and how um, gratitude can help us uh, in our workplaces. And the last one I'd like to highlight is compassion. I think compassion is going to be a more and more important role when we're um, working with diverse teams and inclusion. Um, and I think as we you know, come back into this rehumanization of the workplace, that we're all going to have to become a lot more compassionate in our leadership. Thank you. Great. Jen. Thanks. It's, it's been fun having this blab. I, I could, I look forward to becoming a regular blabbermouth. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I think it's been really interesting. We've been sort of looking at uh, really a collective intelligence in forming, you know, uh, is this leadership of the future is a collective intelligence that's that's developing um, and couldn't agree more than with uh, what Alicia has, has highlighted. The only other thing I would add in is that apart from sort of remembering we're human and to sort of acknowledge our humanness is also to allow ourselves a time to take the time out to spend just thinking for a few minutes each day, just to sort of press pause and reflect on what we're doing, where we're going, who we're interacting with and, and where we want our future to lead us. Great. Ian? Well, I think I've got two things. One is to quote Oscar Wilde, um, who said, um, be yourself because everyone else is already taken. Uh, the second thing would be along those lines to compete with yourself and, and, and try to collaborate with, with everyone else. I think that's the, that's the future. Looking at ourselves in the mirror, getting a vision of being the best version of ourselves, becoming that, and then collaborating with with other people who are trying to do the same thing. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, my last my, my last word is uh, a quotation from I think it's Upton Sinclair, and I hope I've got that name right for this quotation. And he said that it's very hard to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. And I think that pretty much summarizes uh, many of the problems that we have with with leadership and change and being being willing to being willing to think differently. And if we want to if we want to be leaders in our organisations, in our teams, in our families in our communities and in ourselves, uh, it might mean letting go of some things and taking some risks and taking some chances, be willing to let go of things that we've held on, let go of some of the safety so that we can move to a new safe harbour. So with that, let me say thank you to everyone who joined in our audience. Thank you so much for taking part. Um, a special thank you to my three panellists as well, uh, Alicia Curtis, Dr Jenny Brockis and Ian Berry. 
I hope you enjoyed the discussion and planning to run more blabs like this in the future with a range of topics and things like innovation, modern workplaces, future thinking, productivity and performance, even personal branding. So if you'd like to be involved as a panelist, an audience member or both, then subscribe to my Blab channel. The way to do that is to go to blab.im forward slash Gihan Pereira and then you'll see my page and click the follow button and then you'll be notified of all new blabs that I'm running. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store. And that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, check out my speaking topics at gihanperera.com. You can also find out about my mentoring programs if you're interested in one-on-one work for yourself or your teams. And if you do want to engage with me in other ways, again, go to gihanperera.com where you can find my blog, my newsletter, my podcast, videos and webinar series. They're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of the individuals in your organization, your team and, of course, your own potential as well. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. You've been listening to the iMatter Podcast. To subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit iMatterPodcast.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.